Hello, and welcome to Perspectives, a podcast series from Steichman Elliott, where we discuss legal issues that are relevant to Canadian business. Today, we're discussing Me Too with Stephanie Weschler, a partner in Steichman Elliott's Employment and Labor Group in Montreal. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Richard. We thought it'd be interesting to discuss with you the impact that the Me Too movement has had on the workplace in Quebec and in Canada. What can you tell us about this? Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. As you can imagine, in the world of employment law, sexual harassment cases, they've always been present and they've always resulted in a lot of litigation. So it's obvious now what the Me Too movement has done is that it's raised awareness among the population of this issue, but, but it's also given potentially the courage to certain complainants who maybe didn't have the courage before to file complaints in the past, but now to come forward and make their allegations without any fear of reprisal. So what I did before this podcast is I, I read some recent statistics which shows us that for sure there's been more complaints filed since the emergence of the Me Too movement. So, for example, in the province of Quebec, we have statutory provisions in our Labor Standards Act, whereby employees can file complaints if they feel that they've been subject to harassment in the workplace. And this has always included sexual harassment as well. So now what we're seeing in 2017 is that there was a total of about uh, approximately 5,000 complaints, a little bit less maybe, that were filed with the Labor Standards Board alleging workplace harassment. So I also reviewed a recent survey that has been done in Canada on the Me Too movement and sexual harassment, and I found it very interesting. So what this survey tells us is that over half of Canadian women say that they've been subjected to sexual harassment in the workplace. I would say just under 30% of Canadian women say that they've been subjected to non-consensual sexual touching in the workplace. And finally, over 60% of women say that the Me Too movement has really heightened their awareness of how they think of workplace relations and sexual harassment. So I found these surveys very interesting and the correlation between the complaints being filed and how women are viewing harassment in the workplace is definitely correlated. Interesting. So Stephanie, how do you relate these statistics to their impact on employers uh, in Canada in the field of employment law? So first of all, it is now very clear to us that employers are much more aware and sensitive of the issue, which really translates them in communicating with us, they're calling us to request to update their policies, to provide training, and this is not only so that employees are more aware of their rights, but also to provide training to managerial employees so that they're better equipped to deal with these situations. Now, what employers have learned is that it's, of course, so much better for them to address these issues early on rather than letting the situation get worse and having to deal with a much more serious issue down the road. Employers are also much more conscious of the fact that they have no choice, they need to act with diligence, so which means better training, better preventative tools for their employees, not only to prevent harassment, but to put a stop to it when it's happening. Finally, as I said previously, what we've seen in Quebec is more and more complaints at the Labor Standards Board, and it's gone to the point where we don't even have enough government lawyers to address these issues at the board level. There's increased volume of complaints, as I said, which is requiring them to engage more and more lawyers to deal with these issues. Hmm. Interesting. Now, from a purely um, legislative point of view, have there been any developments in the legislative landscape as a result of the, of the Me Too movement? 
So as I mentioned before, the province of Quebec, we've always had in our Labour Standards Act the specific provisions dealing with psychological harassment, and this has been in our law since June 2004. Now, in this uh, regard, we were the first province actually in Canada to specifically include provisions of this nature in our provincial legislation. So what we're seeing is with the emergence of the Me Too movement, the government in Quebec has now, they really decided, they said, we need to come forward, we need to make further amendments to our laws. And they're actually codifying and explicitly including sexual harassment in our legislation now. So what does this mean? The legal definition of psychological harassment, which every employer in Quebec is very well aware about, is now going to explicitly include sexual harassment. So it will encompass verbal comments, acts or gestures of a sexual nature. And it's also going to expressly provide now that employers have to adopt and make available to their employees prevention mechanisms and complaint processing mechanisms for them to be able to come forward and file complaints, at least internally, in the event that there's some sexual harassment uh, issues happening in the workplace. The second point that is important that we've seen in the Me Too movement is the fact that complainants are coming forward uh, many years after the uh, issues have arisen. So what the legislators thought about was whether or not the 90-day time frame, which is what it is right now in the Labour Standards Act, to file a complaint, whether that was sufficient. And ultimately what was decided was they were going to change this time frame from 90 days to now two years following an incident of harassment. So this is of course a significant amendment in that it provides a lot more time for complainants to actually file their complaints. And it also, what it does for employers is that it obliges them to properly document and preserve their evidence relating to any situations of harassment, because it's really unknown for this two-year period whether or not somebody will come forward and actually file a complaint. Was this the first time uh, sexual harassment was specifically mentioned in the law? So the, the amendment was June 12th, actually, 2018, so not too long ago, a few weeks ago. Now, the concept of sexual harassment was not explicitly contained in the law until this amendment, and now uh, it is explicitly there with specific mention to sexual harassment, but it's always been implicitly in our law through case law. So that's in the province of Quebec. On the federal level, though, the Canadian Human Rights Act, which applies to federal undertakings like banks, for example, it has always explicitly included the concept of sexual harassment in the law, which provides that sexual harassment is, is really deemed to be harassment on a prohibited ground of discrimination. It's in their, their Human Rights Act, so it relates to a prohibited ground of discrimination. So this concept has been contained on the federal level for many years, and now, as I said, in the province of Quebec since June 12, 2018. Um, Stephanie, besides the fact that employers are concerned about employees filing complaints, with various administrative tribunals. Can you tell us a little bit about what type of exposure employers should be concerned about in sexual harassment cases? It's a very good question. So there's a lot of potential consequences. So the first consequence is, is not strictly a legal one. It's really a reputational damage on the company that these complaints can give rise to. So particularly in situations where the company does not act quickly and efficiently. Now we all know very well today with social media, news travels so quickly. It can be very destructive and especially in cases where the employer is not on top of uh, the situation, not proactively reacting. So 
that's from a, a, a non-legal perspective. Now, from a legal point of view, I talked about it a little bit, but I think it's worthy to get into a little bit more about what a victim of sexual harassment can do and what avenues they have uh, in terms of filing complaints. So firstly, as I said, we have our Labor Standards Act uh, where there is complaints available to employees who believe that they were victims of harassment. So employees can file a complaint with our board uh, in the province of Quebec. This leads to investigations. Uh, there could be, of course, a hearing if it goes ultimately to the final stages. And the Labor Tribunal has very broad powers to award uh, different things, lost wages, damages, uh, reimbursement of any treatments that result from the harassment, and really any other remedy that the tribunal deems appropriate in the specific case. So that's the Labor Standards Act. There's also a possibility for someone to file a complaint under the Human Rights Act alleging that uh, he or she was subject to discrimination. So in this case, again, the complaint results in investigation by the Human Rights Commission. And ultimately, it can lead to very similar uh, consequences at the Labor Standards Board, damages, reinstatement, reimbursement of lost wages, as well as orders to review the policies and make specific amendments internally. Another risk that we're all aware of, of course, is a civil claim against an employer, which is the traditional action and damages that goes uh, to our common law courts. And finally, employees can uh, go forward uh, with the uh, Workers' Compensation Board and file a claim uh, demonstrating that the uh, conduct which occurred in the workplace resulted in a physical or psychological illness directly related to the alleged harassment. So all this to say, as you can see, there's both legal and non-legal consequences uh, that employers need to be uh, aware of, and it results in important, uh, it's very important for employers to be proactive in applying uh, their best practices in the business. Yeah, good advice. Uh, employers have to stay in front of this. So what are, the, what are the best practices that you would recommend to employers? Thank you, Richard. So I think, you know, the first best practice is to take all their existing manuals, any codes of conduct or any other employer documents uh, that they have in the workplace, and they need to review them. They need to make sure that there's explicit uh, mention of uh, psychological harassment, sexual harassment uh, in their policies, and they need to update them to ensure that the most recent legislative changes are included in their policies. Uh, in addition to that, I mean, employers need to ensure that their policies are comprehensive. Uh, again, they have to have specific mention to sexual harassment, but they also need to ensure that their policies include detailed processes for employees to file internal complaints. And this is whether they're informal or formal complaints alleging sexual harassment. So it, it's very important for employers to understand that they have to have robust and comprehensive internal policies and that they're able to resolve situations internally before they become litigious because really we all know it's in their best interest to deal with them internally rather than going to the board and having the potential consequences that I talked about previously. So that's the first uh, best practice. The second one that I would say is, again, it's connected to reviewing the uh, internal employee documents, um, but this one relates to proper training for the employees. And this training has to be done not only for employees at all different levels, but also to uh, their managers, their, their first line managers, those who come into contact 
with the employees and the ones that are going to see situations occur. Now, of course, this can be uh, the managers uh, that, that the situations are visible to them, and it can also be, of course, situations where uh, the employee is alleging harassment in their regard. So the first-line managers, they need to be trained. They need to be able to recognize situations and deal with them properly and efficiently. And they need to be alert uh, as to who's the right person to go to and the resource that they have in order to ensure that the intervention is being uh, handled in a timely manner. I think the last best practice that I can mention uh, today is the fact that um, employers, you know, often what they're seeing, unfortunately, is situations of chronic behavior, which at some points and times can be inappropriate. And there could be situations where employers can resort to very targeted coaching and training for specific employees. Now, the benefit of targeted training or coaching, as I mentioned, is that not only are they addressing a concern and potentially remedying a situation which is occurring at that time, but they're also showing that they're taking the preventative measures that they need to take in order to minimize their liability in the court system. So it's a preventative tool, and it's also a tool which shows that they're putting a stop to any sort of harassment that's happening in the workplace. I think the last thing that I just wanted to mention, uh, which is not in every case, but in certain cases, depending on the situation, Companies are also using external independent investigators to look into these matters. And depending on the gravity and the type of situation and the players that are involved, sometimes it's better off having somebody external come in and do it as an independent investigator rather than having the people, you know, the HR or the managerial employees internally doing it. Interesting. This is such a, such a sensitive uh, topic. I'm curious. Have there been any recent cases in the province of Quebec that you believe are relevant to, uh, to the Me Too movement? For sure. So as I said, there's been uh, many cases at the Labor Standards Board as well as at the Human Rights Commission as it relates specifically to sexual harassment. So this is, you know, whether or not it's under our Labor Standards Act or under the Charter. But that said, I mean, with the Me Too movement, clearly employees are feeling more at ease to come forward. They're filing formal complaints in situations where in the past maybe they wouldn't have necessarily felt as comfortable to do it. But specifically what we're seeing is that they're doing it when employers are not acting in a timely manner and not addressing the employees' concerns to the extent that they would like them to be addressed. So as we all know, the Superior Court, as a first example, they recently authorized a class action lawsuit against the Just for Laughs founder, Gilbert Rosan. So this was about 20 uh, women who are calling themselves les courageuses, saying that they were sexually assaulted and harassed by Rosan. So the Superior Court judge acknowledged that in this case, a class action lawsuit has really proven to be an effective tool in these cases, and that in certain situations where plaintiffs may have not have been authorized to come forward and file these complaints, now with this law, uh, class action lawsuit, they're able to, and the victims are not being deprived of this right. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, case evolves uh, with time, but that's definitely one of the big examples that I wanted to discuss today. So another recent uh, case that was rendered in Quebec that I wanted to talk about, it was involving a person who alleged that she was forced to resign from her employment because of the sexual harassment that she was being subjected to by her supervisor. In this case, it was the owner uh, of the business. So again, the tribunal accepted the complainant's version of the events and found that the sexual harassment did in fact occur. 
And once again, the employer uh, was shown to have not taken the necessary measures to prevent the harassment, so they were held liable in this case. And ultimately, again, they were held liable to pay $10,000 to the uh, individual. So that's another case of a similar nature where we see that the uh, tribunal awarded damages uh, of a very similar amount uh, recently in the province of Quebec. So again, we see it's critical for employees. They need to come forward. They need to put the proper training in place. They need to ensure that the harassment is prevented and also that they put a stop to it as it's uh, happening. We need to recognize the fact that what we're seeing in a lot of the cases really is that the employers are not necessarily implementing the proper preventative mechanisms in order to minimize their liability in these cases. Well, Stephanie, uh, thank you. This is certainly a relevant topic, and this has been really interesting. Any, any last comments that you'd like to make on the subject? Thank you, Richard. So I, I can't emphasize enough that really, again, employers, they need to take a proactive approach in dealing with these issues. They can't shy away from them and try and sort of put them under the rug. They really need to be proactive. They need to make sure that they have their preventative mechanisms in place and mechanisms for employees to be able to come forward and deal with them internally. Because again, dealing with them internally is uh, much better, of course, for an employer from a liability standpoint than allowing them to uh, go to the courts and all the consequences that we talked about before. So employers, need to address them quickly as they arise and efficiently and ensure that they put a stop to them. Thank you, Stephanie. This has been really informative. Thank you, Richard. And I'd like to say thank you to our listeners. This has been Perspectives, a podcast from Steichman Elliott, where we discuss legal issues that are relevant to Canadian business. To learn more, go to steichman.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>